Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us this evening uh, for our TIFF talk on Thursday, not Tuesday, but Thursday today. Uh, so thank you for joining us. I'm very excited about our special guest we have today. Uh, we have Dr. Ahmed Ahmed Saeed. Um, thank you so much for being here. I was making sure I say it correctly. <laughs> I practiced before we started. So um, for those of you that are joining us, um, please know this is a live event. And at any time, if you have any questions, please feel free to uh, type them into the comment section and we will do our best to answer all of your questions. So before we start, I want to give you a little introduction to uh, who Dr. Ahmed Saeed is. Um, he's a board-certified, fellowship-trained gastroenterologist with Kansas City Gastroenterology and Hepatology Physicians Group in Kansas City, Missouri. He is affiliated with Research Menorah Lee Summit Medical Center. Uh, Dr. Saeed offers specialized training and expertise in advanced therapeutic endoscopy and has produced numerous articles, abstracts, and presentations in his field. Uh, Dr. Saeed is accepting new patients and also sees patients through, uh, through telehealth um, virtual visits. So um, welcome, Dr. Saeed, and thank you for being here with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the introduction, uh, Andrea. Yep. So uh, before we start and, uh, you know, with our program and talking about GERD and, and the TIF procedure. Dr. Saeed, can you tell us a little bit more about your practice and where you're located? I mean, I know I mentioned where you're in Kansas City, um, but maybe talk, tell us a little bit more about your practice. All right. So um, I'm partner with Kansas City Gastroenterology and Hepatology. We are nine gastroenterologists. Uh, we have all the subspecialties in gastroenterology, including inflammatory bowel disease, uh, hepatology, uh, obesity medicine, general gastroenterology, and uh, advanced endoscopy. And I'm one of the advanced endoscopists in the group. Uh, we cover multiple hospitals, a large area uh, in Metro Kansas City, and um, the five hospitals, like, like you mentioned, include Research, Menorah, Lee Summit Medical Center, Overland Park Regional, and Belton Regional Medical Center. And um, we, um, we have Kansas City Research Institute, too, where we perform tri clinical trials on newer medications and procedures to see if it's helpful for uh, our patients. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And if you're watching and you'd like uh, any information, there is their practice address 
as well as phone number listed on the top of the Facebook um, image. So please feel free to contact them if you'd like to schedule an appointment. So let's go ahead and start talking about uh, GERD. Can you give us a, a you know, scientific description of what is GERD and what are the types of symptoms um, could a patient feel if they were suffering from GERD or acid reflux? All right, so um, GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease is a disease in which the uh, acidic content of the stomach comes back into the esophagus more frequently. The esophagus is an organ that does not uh, handle all, so acid burns through the lining of the esophagus and it can cause a lot of symptoms. So uh, what causes that is, so every one of us is born with a mechanism to prevent acid reflux. Uh, we call that the barrier to acid reflux, and it's made of two components. The first component is the lower esophageal sphincter, which is essentially a ring-shaped muscle at the lower end of the esophagus. If that muscle is loose or if it relaxes more frequently, then acid gets a chance to come, to come back from the stomach into the esophagus and causes symptoms. The other mechanism is the diaphragm. So the esophagus passes through the diaphragm before it joins the stomach. And the diaphragm muscles hold the esophagus at a certain angle, and that angle prevents acid from coming back into the esophagus. Now, if there is a hiatal hernia uh, where the stomach slides uh, through the diaphragm up into the chest area, that angle is lost, and that's how acid reflux happens. Uh, so a failure in one, one or both of these mechanisms uh, causes acid reflux. So uh, when it happens or when acid comes into the esophagus, the symptoms of acid reflux, there are, there are the typical symptoms that are related to acid presence in the esophagus and the burning of the lining of the esophagus. And these symptoms uh, would include uh, heartburn. So burning sensation in the center of the chest area. And the other symptom, which is typical for acid reflux and very common is regurgitation. When that muscle at the lower end of the esophagus relaxes and the stomach is working on crushing uh, food or digest eat, uh, then if that muscle is open and there's high pressure in the stomach, then the stomach content, the liquefied stomach content, comes back all the way to the throat, and that can cause a lot of suffering. So symptoms that are very related and very common uh, when acid uh, reflux happen. There are symptoms that can overlap with other organs, um, like chest pain, for example. When chest pain happens to any patient, we think it's probably the heart, and that's uh, the most serious uh, condition. So we would want these patients to go see a cardiologist or the ER, uh, go to the ER uh, or see their primary care get evaluated for any uh, cardiac condition. And if there is no, if the workup is complete and there's no cardiac condition, then this is possibly related to acid reflux. Um, other symptoms that are overlapping with other organs include the ear, nose, and throat, so ENT. Uh, so things like recurrent sinus infection, hoarseness of the voice, and recurrent ear infections can be related to acid reflux. And another thing is lung symptoms, things related to the respiratory uh, system. So when there's regurgitation of acid, small amount of acid can micro, we call it micro aspiration. So it can get into the lung and that can cause a lot of irritation to the lining of the lung. So it presents with symptoms like asthma attacks, shortness of breath, and chronic cough. 
So those are the symptoms that can that acid reflux can present with. Of course, there are some symptoms that we worry about the most in the setting of acid reflux, and we call them the warning symptoms. So if any of these happen, we ask the patient to seek medical advice immediately. And those would be uh, things like vomiting blood, unexpected weight loss, and difficulties in swallowing. And that's an indication that maybe there's the stricture in the esophagus or esophageal cancer is one of the things that we worry about. Interesting. interesting. Yeah, that was very in-depth. Thank you so much for that explanation. So, um, you know, and I hear that a lot. A lot of patients, um, you know, say that they went to the emergency room thinking they were having, you know, a heart attack and come to find out it was, you know, severe GERD or um, you know, or suffering from asthma for many, many years, and then come to find out, it, you know, they have severe GERD. So, um, very interesting. What um, currently do you? Um, what are the things that you tell your patients um, to do to help manage their symptoms, their GERD symptoms or acid reflux today? So, uh, and so the least invasive thing would be lifestyle changes. So the, this is the first step in the management of acid reflux. So uh, we look, at, we talk about things like uh, if there is a component of obesity, weight loss is very important and has shown that uh, it improves the control of acid reflux and in some instances, actually resolution of the acid reflux completely. Another thing is uh, elevating the head of the bed at night using a witch pillow, so that prevents the, the, the uh, basically creates uh, gravity, uh, keep food in the stomach by gravity and doesn't come back into the esophagus. Uh, another thing would be looking into the diet, and most of the time, when see by the time we see the patient, they already identified. Uh, components of their diet that triggers acid reflux. But in general, things uh, greasy food, uh, excessive use of alcohol, smoking, chocolate, peppermint, all of these can trigger acid reflux. And mm, so basically, these are the uh, lifestyle changes that we typically advise to um, help control acid reflux. Yeah. Uh, that's usually the first line uh, treatment when we see our patients. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, we did have a question come through, and I, this is probably a, probably a perfect time can you, uh, to ask the question. Dawn's asking, can you have reflux without symptoms? So yes, exactly. So that's one important thing that we have to be aware about, uh, aware of. So uh, some, uh, so I would say a lot of people, maybe the majority of people, if, if not everybody has episode of acid reflux at some point. So like once a month or uh, once every year uh, where uh, acid comes back into the esophagus. And it's, uh, so in some people, the sensitivity of the esophagus is not high. So acid can come back up into the esophagus without causing uh, significant symptoms. And the way I know about that is that in some people uh, where we do upper endoscopy for other reasons and we go back down into the esophagus and examine the lining of the stomach, we, no we notice that they have uh, Barrett's esophagus, which is one of the complications of acid reflux. So at the end, those people have acid reflux, but they actually don't feel it. 
Interesting. Okay. So it's hard to find these people and help them prevent that from happening. But there is a criteria that was described by the American Society of Gastroenterology and Endoscopy on how to identify people uh, with risk for Barrett's esophagus. And we usually look at certain um, criteria. And if they have two of those criteria, we advise them to uh, get an upper endoscopy to screen for Barrett's. And that would include uh, obesity. Uh, excessive alcohol, smoking, family history of Barrett's esophagus, family history of uh, esophageal cancer, and, and having, if they have symptoms of GERD, in that case, we say if you have GERD for uh, five or more years. Okay, interesting. Okay. Uh, so, gosh, we're getting questions coming through. Let's let's talk a little bit about medications, um, medical therapy um, for the treatment of acid reflux or GERD, if you will. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I know there's a lot of patients that kind of self-prescribe PPIs or they go get a Meprazole or, you know, Zantac, or not Zantac, um, Nexium. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the so medical medications are actually over-the-counter medications right right now, like Nexium and Prilosec, and we can purchase them from uh, your local pharmacy over-the-counter without without needing for a, pre uh, a prescription. So uh, there's two components, there's two categories of medications that are commonly used in the management of acid reflux. So the first uh, uh, one is H2 blockers and things like Zantac, Ranitidine, Cymetidine, uh, or medications are similar or in that category. So those medications are not very strong in controlling the acid in the in the stomach. They they work fine, but with time uh, they lose the effectiveness. It, basically, the body builds resistance to the mechanism the medic the medication is working, and then it's not as effective anymore. Um, they have a low side effect profile, but they're not as effective. The next category is the proton pump inhibitors like Prilosec, Protonix, or Nexium, and they're really strong in uh, in decreasing the acid in the stomach. They ba basically shut the proton pumps and decrease the production of acid uh, uh, into the stomach. So um, we have a good body of uh, a large body of literature, medical literature, to support that safety of use of these medication for a long term, but there's uh, multiple studies that also show that there are possible side effects. And uh, we know about uh, side effects like uh, infections in the colon with C. diff. That's a well-known uh, possible side effect, and that's a serious condition that causes an infection in the colon and it can have serious uh, complications. And other things like uh, chronic kidney disease and um, fractures in the elderly and Osteoporosis are side effects that some of the studies are point, pointing to. So, in general, we um, recommend using these medications if it's not for a long term. Uh, if you're having an episode once a month or once every two weeks and you're going to take medication here and there, that should be fine. Uh, but taking that medicine for a long period of time is probably only recommended if, you, if we really don't have any other choice. So. Uh, these are, um, th th this is a description of how we use the medication. The one aspect 
use of medications for management of acid reflux, we should know that the medication actually decreases the acid in the stomach. But the, um, when there's a failure of the barrier to acid reflux, um, there's a problem of regurgitation of the contents of the stomach up in the esophagus. And that's not just acid. So if we use the medication, we basically decrease the acid. There's still digestive enzymes, there's bile, and that all can cause also uh, side effects and uh, complications. So you maybe take the medication, but the problem is still not fixed. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Uh, let me get to a couple of questions before um, first, and then we can talk a little bit about the different um, treatment options for um, GERD, including obviously the TIF procedure. So uh, we have Ava's asking, does acid reflux cause esophageal cancer after many years of taking medications to relieve the symptoms? Um, so um, the uh, so there's one uh, complication with with acid reflux. Chronic acid reflux can uh, predispose to the risk for Barrett's esophagus. Once that happens, Barrett's esophagus carries a small risk to turn into uh, esophageal cancer. So uh, one of the recommendations is to take the PPI at max dose, uh, basically forever or until a mechanical fix happens to the acid reflux. So once there's Barrett's esophagus, we carry that risk of esophageal cancer, and uh, we have to go for screening every uh, certain number of years depending on the degree of Barrett's esophagus and whether they have a, um, a risk for higher risk for cancer. So within the Barrett's, when we screen it, we take biopsies from the lining and there's something called dysplasia that's a, a step closer to forming uh, esophageal cancer. So we have to be aware of that and we have to uh, stick to the screening guidelines for uh, Barrett's esophagus to prevent uh, uh, esophageal cancer. But yes, the medication decreases that risk, uh, but it doesn't take it away completely. Oh, perfect. Good. Okay. And uh, another question um, from Don. Again, I have bile reflux. Will a TIF improve my situation? Let's let's first talk before you answer that question. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about um, the treatment options, and and you can go into you know maybe talk a little bit about you know the the gold standard you know for back in the day the Nissen and then you know how that's different from the TIF procedure and what are other options that are available today all right so um the first line treatment we talked about is lifestyle changes and medication as much as we can use it but we prefer not to use it for long term and then if that doesn't work then we start talking about the mechanical fix which is uh which includes surgery or endoscopy so the uh all this treatment in the market that has been there for a uh, very long time is nissen's fund application so it's a surgery. The surgeon goes in through incisions in the abdomen and they take part of the stomach, which is the fundus, and they wrap it around the esophagus in a 360 degree, and then they suture it together. So what that does is it, it creates a very tight area at the lower end of the esophagus, and that prevents acid and gastric content from coming back up. It's very effective for acid reflux. But the problem is it's not reproducible. So Every surgeon's outcome is very variable. So every surgeon 
uh, creates it in a different way. It's um, the outcomes are not the same between community hospitals and ac academic centers. So uh, that's one uh, problem with this uh, procedure. The other is the uh, complications and the sex. So there's a long list of side effects with this procedure. One of the most uh, common ones is difficulties in swallowing that can last for a long period of time and inability to burp or vomit and that what what that essentially does is that gas get trapped in the stomach and into the small bowel and there's abdominal distension a lot of pain and diarrhea so it's not um, i would say it's not uh, any more the preferred procedure for management of uh, acid reflux okay so that's one procedure the other common procedure right now is procedure. So what that is, it's a uh, metallic ring with magnetic function that the surgeon place at the lower end of the esophagus. And what that does is it keeps the lower end of the esophagus shut. And when you eat something, it opens up with the magnetic function. The, the food passes into the stomach and then it closes it again to prevent acid and gastric content from uh, coming back. And the problem with that is uh, it's a foreign body. It's a metallic foreign body. So what the body does to, when, when there's a foreign um, component inside is it builds scar tissue around it and causes fibrosis. So that scar tissue actually um, keep that ring tight and prevent it from opening up and the patient would have a lot of difficulties in swallowing and we those patients uh, as a gastroenterologist and we have to go back in again and again and do dilation just to break break the scar tissue uh, from that ring and if you end it's a foreign body it can also erode into of the esophagus and that's essentially another surgery to go back in to remove that device Okay. Uh, so that's the second component, the yeah. second procedure. So the third procedure, which is the uh, most popular right now, is the TIF procedure. Um, and um, TIF is an endoscopic procedure, so it's, it's um, uh, an endoscopy, no, no surgery needed. It's uh, um, and um, is created by the device, a device called the esophix device and it's uh, made by endogastric solutions. Um, it's a simple procedure. It takes um, 25 to 30 minutes to be done in an experienced hand. And the side effect profile of uh, this procedure is very low. So basically out of 22,000 procedures done, there was only 0.4% uh, complication when you com compare that to Nissen's fundamental is from 6 to 29 percent uh, complications uh, after that, that are associated with the procedure. So uh, what TIF stands for is trans uh, oral incisionless fundoplication. So um, uh, to describe the procedure more, what we do is uh, basically we feed the upper endoscope or the gastroscope through uh, the device and then we pass both the device and the endoscope through the mouth into the stomach and once we are in the stomach then we use graspers to hold uh, to hold the junction between 
between the stomach and the esophagus. And what we do is we pull that down, and what that essentially does, it reduces the hiatal hernia, which is the first component of the um, barrier to acid reflux. And then uh, once we bring that down, then we take part of the stomach using the device and wrap it around the esophagus. And once we're satisfied with that wrap, what we do is we place uh, applications between the wall of the esophagus and the um, and the wall of the stomach, and that's that holds the wall of the esophagus to the stomach, and we repeat that again and again in different areas and different angles to um, at the end create uh, a valve at the lower end of the esophagus, which creates the uh, second component of uh, the barrier to acid reflux, which is the low, low, uh, lower esophageal uh, sphincter, so it augments that. So the valve that, that's created at the end is a three centimeter valve, it's 270 degree, and it's essentially created around that device, which is two centimeter in diameter. So it makes sure that the opening of that valve is wide enough for food to go down and for air to come back up, but not acid or gastric content. So. Um, once we're done creating that device, uh, that that valve using the device, then we bring the device out and we go back in to take a look at the valve, make sure it looks fine, and then the procedure is done. So it's a simple procedure and very low risk uh, or side effect profile. Perfect. Thank you. That was that was really in depth. Uh, one of the things you did mention was the. Um, the the other valve, right? The hiatal hernia, um, and and the. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And just to for the people that are watching, understand it. Although it's you're doing it, the procedure at the same time, they are two different um, procedures. So maybe discuss that so, a little. Bit. Um, so the, the description of so what I described is the TIF TIF procedure alone. So for a very small hiatal hernia. The TIF procedure, when we grasp that junction between the uh, stomach and the esophagus and we bring it down, we can reduce the hiatal hernia and there is no need for a surgery to reduce it. But if the hiatal hernia is larger than two centimeter, then what we found through uh, the multiple studies that were done uh, would that it's better that we have a surgeon come in with us to repair the hiatal hernia and then we perform the TIF procedure. And still, it is a minimally invasive uh, procedure. So, uh, what the surgeon essentially does is small incision through the abdomen, and you, they use a ro robot most of the time, and simply they bring down the stomach from the chest cavity where uh, that uh, where where it herniates through, and they bring it down into the abdomen, and they suture the defect in the diaphragm. Uh, once they're done, they're out. Then we go in and we do the TIF procedure that we described. We we create that valve at the lower end of the esophagus, and uh, it probably add 30 to 35 minutes on top of the TIF part of the procedure. So that's like one hour. Perfect. Thank you for that. So we do have some more questions. Um, Jonathan's asking, uh, can you get a TIF after a failed partial fundification? So uh, yes. So um, a lot of time we go in, we examine the area of the fundoplication, and we see if there are points where we can attach a device and grasp, and uh, we can recreate that uh, valve if there is no large hiatal hernia. 
if there's a complete failure and there's a hiatal hernia, we have to go back in with a surgeon to fix the hiatal hernia first, and then we we create that valve. But yes, if you had a uh, partial fundoplication that's not working, we can go in and augment that wrap of the uh, fundoplication to create that valve. And the outcomes are really good too. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so another question, is this, this procedure done in the hospital? Which ones do you perform? Uh, which ones do you perform procedures at? <laughs> which hospitals? All right, so um, um, I perform that procedure at Menorah Medical Center right now. I go to Research Medical Center and I can perform that procedure there too. And we're starting recently and I'll be do doing the procedures at least some hospitals, so basically three hospitals uh, where it can be done. Perfect. And another question from Mary, do the, uh, for the TIF, do the fasteners stay in the stomach or do they dissolve over time? So those are non-absorbable plastic um, um, fasteners. So they, they're designed or they're made in a way that the body does not react to them at all. They're designed to be there and stay there. And they help the tissue stay together for the body to form scar tissue and just fuse everything uh, together. The technology is called serosa uh, fuse, I think. And uh, but yes, the, those are non-absorbable and they stay in, uh, but they, the body does not react to them at all. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see another question. Oh, so another one was asking, um, can a person have a TIF after the um, they've had a previous Nissen, which you've you've pretty much explained. Um, is okay. Here's one. Anisha is asking: Is Barrett's curable? Can it be completely cured? Yes. So, um, and the current guidelines for the management of Barrett's esophagus is once we discover it, we have to go in and take biopsies every one to two centimeter from that, and we take the biopsies from all around. So we take those biopsies. We also have to look with special cameras that we have on the scope to look at how the blood vessels are and how they are, uh, what we call is the pit pattern of the lining of the esophagus. And if we see any suspicious abnormality, we have to biopsy that area specifically. So we take a lot of biopsy from that area where the Barrett's esophagus is. And the way to decide if there's need for treatment or just screening is, is based on the results of the biopsies. So if the biopsies shows Barrett's esophagus only without dysplasia, then we ask the patient to come back in three years for another screening and to redo the biopsies, and we have to keep them on um, acid separation medications or offer them the mechanical fix, which is the uh, TIF procedure. Uh, if the biopsies are showing dysplasia, then we have to go in and identify where the dysplasia is, and uh, if it's something like a bump or a growth, then we have to resect that area, and we perform that technique all the time. It's called EMR or uh, ESD, uh, endoscopic submucosal dissection, uh, or endo endoscopic mucosal resection. So we can resect that area of the barrier that has the dysplasia, which are which is a high risk for cancer. Now, um, the other option, if there is no growth or um, a bump in the lining of the esophagus, then uh, if there's dysplasia, what we do is we do something called ablation. 
So uh, it's a radio frequency ablation. We just uh, we essentially burn the very superficial lining of the esophagus using a uh, radio frequency ablation device, and that burns esophagus and actually restores the normal lining of the esophagus. But even if that's done, we still have to keep them on screening pr protocol to um, just make sure that uh, that doesn't change it doesn't come back and if there's any leftover small cell that we missed that doesn't turn into cancer at any point. So the screening doesn't change and also performing the uh, TIF procedure or any of the other mechanical barrier does not prevent us from going back and doing the screening. Okay, wonderful. Talking about screening, um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what diagnostic tests um, your patients would normally do, you know, to determine whether or not they're a candidate for, for the TIF procedure. Yeah, important uh, thing to talk about. So uh, if we get the, so we get the initial consult, uh, then we have to set up a, um, right now it's going to be a televisit instead of an office visit because of uh, COVID. Um, so on that televisit, we talk to the patient, we uh, ask them about their symptoms, what are their expectations, um, and how the reflux is affecting their quality of life. And after that, if we determine that those symptoms are related to acid reflux, then we move on to the uh, workup uh, of acid reflux or the pre-workup for a TIF procedure, for example. And we do we do that all under one session of anesthesia. So we the patient would come into the endoscopy unit. So they'll be asleep under anesthesia, and then we put the uh, endoscopes down. We examine the lining of the esophagus. We uh, do a specific evaluation for the presence of a hiatal hernia or no, because that would determine whether we need a surgeon in or no. Um, and, and then we do a full exam of the stomach and the small bowel. And once the upper endoscopy exam is done, then we do something called a, um, a an evaluation of the motility or how the uh, esophagus uh, is moving. So we want to make sure that the esophagus still uh, pushes uh, food down without any issues and that the muscle at the lower end, end of the esophagus relaxes fine. So what we do is something called endoflip. So when the patient is asleep, we pass that uh, cap as a balloon uh, on it and measures the pressure at the lower end of the esophagus and the, it gives us a very nice about how the movement uh, is and the pressures at the, uh, in the esophagus. And if we determine that there are conditions, uh, specifically here we're talking about conditions that are uh, similar to acid reflux, it can present the same, uh, but it's a contraindication to getting any uh, management for acid reflux. Uh, I'm talking specifically about a condition called achalasia. If we rule that out, then that's, uh, the, the patient, there's no contraindication of going for a, um, an, a mechanical acid reflux management. So uh, once that part is done, still while the patient is asleep, we take that catheter, out and we place a small capsule, it's, a, it's called a Bravo capsule. It measures how much acid comes back and it gives us the outcome in uh, numbers. So it's a wireless capsule, it communicates with a belt that the patient uh, wear and go home with. It continue measuring uh, how much acid comes back for uh, four days. And that capsule falls off after five days and passes with the bowel movement. The patient doesn't have to look for it and they just have to bring the belt back and we download the data and we get a good 
uh, info about how much acid came back into the esophagus during that uh, into the esophagus during that period of time, and also we get a correlation between because the, the, we ask the patient to record when they have when they're having symptoms. So uh, I'm coughing right now. I would record that. Uh, I'm having heartburn, I would record that. So uh, we look if there's any correlation between the episodes when that device uh, detected acid in the esophagus and the timing when the symptoms happen. And if there's a good correlation there, we know that the acid reflux is causing the patient's symptoms. And um, that's, that helps us identify those patients and uh, decide the next step of treatment and whether they're candidate for uh, the TIF procedure or no. So that's essentially a uh, workup that we do uh, under one session of anesthesia. It takes us around 15 minutes to finish all of this. Wow, wow, fantastic. That's great. Very thorough. Uh, so, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions here about um, kind of post-op and recovery from uh, the TIF procedure. So maybe um, you can talk a little bit about um, what patients could expect, you know, post-op, um, what's the recovery like, how long, and then maybe, you know, touch on the diet that everyone always talks about. It's the diet. What's the diet like? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so once the procedure is done, uh, the, we talk to the patient in the recovery area. They might wake, well, when they wake up, they would have some nausea, and that, that's expected with um, any procedure where we use anesthesia. We give them medications to prevent the nausea. We essentially don't want them to vomit to vomit after the procedure because that can um, take off some of those plications. Um, so um, that's one thing that we do. Uh, we admit all the patients overnight to the hospital just for uh, one night stay. The next day we check on the patient if they if everything is okay, which most of the time everything is okay. We get we start them on clear liquid diet and see how it goes. If it goes fine, then they're good to go home. Now, uh, the most important aspect is the diet, and we always emphasize that it's important stick to the diet that we give them uh, after uh, the procedure. So it's a six weeks uh, diet plan. And the first three weeks is start only with liquid stuff. So all liquid diets start with clear liquids and toward the end of the third week, it's more of thickened uh, liquid and then soft diet for the last three weeks of those six weeks. So it's a modified diet for six weeks period. And after that, they go back to regular diet. And that gives a chance for healing to happen and for uh, those uh, plications to start forming fibrosis and that adheres the tissue that sticks the tissue of the esophagus and the stomach together strongly before we start pushing things that are solid uh, in that area which can uh, rip things apart so uh, it's very important to stick to that diet um, Another thing that we advise after the procedure is for the first two weeks, we say don't lift anything more than five pounds. For the week three to week uh, six, we say nothing more than 10 pounds. We also restrict aerobic exercise for the first two weeks. Um, but other than that, um, so I think the main thing is the diet because it's a different diet and we usually address that uh, early on once we start talking about the options of treatment. Um, 
but recovery is very fast. So the only thing the patient would notice is the diet changes and a lot of patients actually request to go back to work immediately and uh, some people go to work next day. Okay. So uh, the other question is, is, is the recovery different if they have a hiatal hernia repair as well as the TIF versus just having the TIF procedure? Uh, I don't think so. Um, so uh, I would say probably not going back to work the next day because of the incisions and the abdomen with a hiatal hernia repair. But the recovery period is essentially uh, the same. The diet is the same. The weightlifting recommendation uh, is the same. And um, the pain is expected from the incision site, but that also goes away fast from my experience for with the patients that I uh, had uh, a concomitant TIF with a hiatal hernia repair. So it's a fast recovery. Yeah, wonderful. So a couple of other questions. Uh, let's see, uh, should there be reflux after the TIF procedure? Um, and my experience so far, no. All my patient has gone off of the uh, proton pump inhibitor uh, completely uh, after that procedure. And I'm so happy about it. That's why I'm excited about um, more and more patients. Uh, now, uh, the studies have shown that some patients, like the last study that's out is the TEMPO trial, and it shows that around 30% of the patients requ still required some uh, proton pump inhibitors or uh, things like the prilosic or the protonics uh, after the, this procedure at five years point. So um, there, there is instances where uh, you will still need the uh, acid medicine, but uh, in mind that those patients had really uncontrolled acid reflux while on medications and now after the TIF procedure it is a controlled acid reflux on lower dose of medication yeah. so that's a big difference yeah that's a good point another question uh, someone have achalasia and GERD uh, yes so um, Yes and no. So um, achalasia is essentially um, the opposite of gastroesophageal reflux disease. So if we talked about that muscle at the lower end of the esophagus. So uh, in acid reflux, that muscle is, relaxes more often. And achalasia, that muscle is very tight and it doesn't relax uh, often. So the main symptoms with acid reflux is heartburn and regurgitation. The symptoms with achalasia is difficulty in swallowing. But when I said yes, they can have both is because there's an optimus. So for achalasia, what happens is someone would eat something or drink something and it stays in the esophagus for a long period of time. So food just sitting in there for for a long period of time, bacteria is in there. It starts from food and it turns uh, and turns some of it into acid, and that can cause burning. So that burning sensation is felt like patient would say, "I have acid reflux because I have burning," and uh, while it's actually not acid reflux, it's achalasia. And there's between that difficulty in swallowing, some uh, one of the symptoms of acid reflux can be uh, something we call globus sensation, which you, essentially you feel food getting stuck in the esophagus. Um, 
when there is no actual structure or narrowing, uh, it's just the irritation the lining of the esophagus that makes me feel that there is a something stuck in there uh, while the main symptoms of achalasia following so there's an overlap here so yeah. one can feel symptoms of acid reflux while it's actually achalasia and i have seen that uh, when we started that program for the with the tip program for management of uh, acid reflux we started we started doing all this work up a lot so we see a lot of patients where we do the end of lip on uh, as a pre-workup for uh, acid reflux and it turns out to be achalasia and uh, I started performing the treatment for achalasia, which is also a minimally invasive treatment called the uh, POEM procedure uh, per oral endoscopic myopathy. And the numbers of proceeding after we offered the acid reflux management just went um, significantly high. We started detecting all those cases that we used to think it's acid reflux. Yeah, that's wonderful. Great. Okay, so we're winding down, we've got another question here. Since TIF, uh, this is Jonathan, since TIF is relatively new, how many surgeries should a specialist have to be considered above average? Uh, and then do you have any recommendations for the Maryland, Virginia area? So maybe if you know someone there, but I can answer that as well. So I'll let you um, answer the first part. Um, Thinking if yeah. I... Uh, yeah, I know a lot of gastroenterologists there, but I don't know if they actually perform the TIF procedure. So uh, I would say uh, for the TIF procedure, it, it is a simple procedure. And I'm, I'm an advanced endoscopist, so I perform more complex procedure. And I feel that this procedure can be performed by uh, any gastroenterologist. It doesn't have to be a special training. It's just a small course that they go to and they get the skills of how to handle the device, uh, how to handle the device and how to operate the device because essentially that uh, technique is uh, uh, or that procedure is done by the device. You just have to operate it and turn it into a different direction, but the operation of the device is very simple. So uh, I would say performing 10 or 12 procedures or more would be enough. Uh, I would say above average would be 20 to 25, and after that, that would be a very um, um, a skillful surgeon performing it. But that's one of the things about it's simple and is created by that device. It's the same technique all the time. That's why the outcome of that procedure is very reproducible between different endoscopists or surgeons, unlike the uh, Nissen's fund application where the outcomes are very variable. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, yeah, so as far as the recommendations for Maryland or Virginia, um, there is, uh, you can go on to girdhelp.com and that is uh, Endogastric Solutions website um, for uh, patients. And there is a physician finder on there. So you can actually put uh, your zip code in there and you'll be able to find a physician in your area that does the TIF procedure, specializes in the TIF. Um, uh, all right, well, so as far as um, talking about TIF uh, and you know post-op, do you have any uh, interesting or, or um, patient stories, um, you know, you, you were talking about the Nissen and, and how the procedure is not, you know, the, the procedure that most, that's as 
common these days due to the side effects and whatnot. Um, I, and I'm sure you've seen those patients come in after having um, those types of procedures. Now that your patients have had the TIF procedure, do you have any, um, what are they like? And you just had mentioned something to the effect that they're off their PPIs now and no, no one's on PPIs. Is that the, the most common um, uh, attribute, if you will, that your patients have after having the TIF procedure? Yeah, um, like a lot of, uh, so all of my patients are really the outcome of that procedure. Um, now, uh, one interesting story would be um, symptoms are, the, the symptoms are not typical for acid reflux. Like if a patient comes in with a uh, cough, for example, chronic cough, that's um, so. Um, that's really hard to correlate with the acid reflux. I mean, we do the workup and it shows acid reflux, but the patient is not having the typical symptoms. So that goes in my in, in my mind. Why aren't they having heartburn or regurgitation? Why aren't they feeling the things coming back up and causing that cough? Maybe that cough is because of something else. The medical literature is describing even after mechanical repair for acid reflux, the symptoms, the upper uh, uh, the ENT symptoms or the chronic cough takes a long time to recover. So recovery from those atypical symptoms like the cough takes a very long time, uh, time because it's essentially what happened, chronic exposure to acid causes a chronic edema in that area and inflammation in the lining of the lungs. So that's why the chronic cough. So now we did the TIF procedure and uh, it prevents the acid from coming back up, but it would take time for that inflammation that started in the uh, lining of the lung to go away. Now, I had a patient who had a chronic cough, and actually she came to the office and wanted to uh, an inpatient in-person office visit, and that was around when the COVID time uh, started, and she couldn't get in because she didn't pass the criteria. She's having that cough, and she's still uh -huh. Upfront that this cough has been going on for a while, everybody. This is before COVID was born. So, um, so anyway, we converted it to a televisit. We talked to, about it, and she was coughing throughout that tele uh, health visit. And um, we did the uh, pre workup to see if this is related to acid reflux or no. And she has a correlation between those co coughing episodes and the uh, acid reflux episodes that was detected by the Bravo. So we talked about the chance that the recovery might might take months, the cost might not go away right away. Um, and I did that procedure on her and I called her four weeks after. And she's telling me essentially the cough is gone. I really did not believe it, but wow. I was talking to her and throughout that visit, she's not even coughing. And I was so happy with that outcome. That is amazing. That's that's wonderful. That's a great story. <laughs> I've heard stories too about you know um, people being able to sing again um, because of the vocal cords, and it's it's incredible um, what this procedure can do for some people. Um, so now you know. Thank you so much for for all of the information you've given us. Um, you know, GERD Awareness Week, ironically, is uh, the week of Thanksgiving <laughs> when everybody wants to eat. Exactly. <laughs> and overeat, if you will. Uh, are there any last um, words that you want to share with people that are watching or any, any recommendations to anybody before we um, end for the evening? Um, so um, 
So our practice, Kansas City Gastroenterology and Hepatology, me and my partners, Dr. Freilich and Dr. Jaffrey, performed this TIF procedure. So if you guys have uh, acid reflux, if it's bothering you, if it's affecting your quality of life, uh, or if you're concerned about the side effects of the medication, contact us. We'll have that televisit with you. We'll talk to you about your symptoms and expectations. And if you if uh, we uh, feel that this is the right thing for you. We'll do the pre-workup and we'll move on to the procedure as soon as we can. And so, yeah, contact us and we are confident that we can give you your quality of life back. Wonderful. That's perfectly said. <laughs> well, thank you so much, everybody, uh, for joining us this evening. And for you, Dr. Saeed, thank you so much for all of the information. I know that um, I know us at Endogastric Solutions appreciates it, and everybody that's watching, um, you know, learned a lot from from this. So, thank you again, everybody. Please stay safe, uh, and you can catch us next time on our next Tip Talk uh, on Tuesday, next Tuesday. So, uh, have a great evening and stay safe. And thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, Andrea, for having me, and thank you, everybody, to for listening to our Tip Talk. Thank you. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERDhelp. Live well, GERD free.